this is Leah, and welcome to this week's Hashtag for Paris podcast. It is wonderful that you could join us for this week's teaching. I'll explain a little bit more about who we are at the end, but for now, let's jump right in. Have you ever noticed how sometimes in life, the ideas that sound the most outlandish or, or the most foolish are the ones that end up having the best results? Sometimes things that seem insignificant end up having a, a real impact uh, in our lives and, and in the world. Let me, let me give you a few examples. Uh, in, in 1876, there was a, a Western Union memo that went out to all of its, its employees saying that this telephone thing has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. It has inherently no value to us. There was also a French professor of, of military strategy, strategy sorry, who just prior to World War II said that uh, airplanes were interesting toys, but of no use in the military. H.M. Uh, Warner of Warner Brothers in 1927, when the first movies came out with sound, he said, who would ever want to listen to actors talk? When the microchip was first invented, one of IBM's lead engineers asked, but what is it possibly good for? And in 1962, Decca Recording Company rejected uh, an obscure music group saying that we don't like their sound and guitar music is on the way out anyway. That group was the Beatles. Sometimes from these things that seem small or silly, the smallest things, sometimes out of those things come the greatest movements. We often, as people, we, we misevaluate the potential for success. And perhaps you've maybe misevaluated your own potential at some point. Or maybe more to the point of what I want to talk about today, maybe you've misevaluated the potential of our church here in Paris, thinking that a small town church can't realistically affect change in the world. Well, in the year 30 AD, they were probably thinking some things just like that. People were probably looking at Jesus' disciples and saying, well, their leader has just been crucified. His followers are scattered. They're a bunch of cowards anyway. I mean, this Jesus movement is surely over. It will never get off the ground. Well, I've got great news. They were wrong. The movement that began with a man named Jesus of Nazareth, sparked a revolution which is still going on today, one that has reached all corners of the globe and, and transformed the lives of billions of people. And so even if we sometimes think that we are too insignificant to make a real impact, the good news of today is that you can make an impact. You can and we can as a church. But how? How do we make that impact? Well, I want to take us today on, on a bit of a journey. Uh, we're going to touch on some of the Old Testament and the New Testament. But I want to begin in the book of Acts. The book of Acts in our Bible is this book about exactly how Jesus' followers took his message and changed their world. I think by learning some lessons here, first we can see how we too can change our world with the news about Jesus. In the first chapter of Acts, Jesus is spending some time with his disciples. This is after 
he was crucified and after his resurrection, but before he was taken up into heaven. He told his disciples during this time to wait in Jerusalem because God was going to pour out his spirit there. The Holy Spirit would provide them with the power that they needed to accomplish the task ahead of them. The passage I want to look at today is one which shortly after this sparked the beginning of the church. That's You may know this passage as the, the pouring out of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So turn with me to Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem. Uh, There were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Frisia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now this amazing event, as it's described, it it takes place on the Jewish feast day of Pentecost. Now Pentecost was also called the Feast of Harvest, and it was a harvest festival to celebrate the wheat harvest in particular. Bread made from the first grain that was harvested would be offered to the Lord as an offering of, of thanksgiving. It's kind of like our Thanksgiving Day today. It's one way to think about it. Something else interesting about the Feast of Pentecost 
is that in later Judaism, it became a celebration of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. Now, this is where I'm going to jump to the Old Testament because I think we have to do a bit of history. Sometimes it's hard to fully understand what's happening in the New Testament without the Old Testament background. Now, the events, the, the giving of the law at Mount Sinai that was celebrated at Pentecost, those events are described in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, which describes how God delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt. Moses led them out of Egypt through the Red Sea to Mount Sinai. And there at Mount Sinai, God made a covenant and gave them a law and made them his people. And we could call the exodus from Egypt and the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, we could call that the birth of a nation because Israel was established as God's people at Mount Sinai. In fact, God says that. He says that in Hosea chapter 11, out of Egypt, I brought my son. Egypt was the womb that gave birth to his nation, Israel. But you see, there is an interesting parallel here. If the law at Mount Sinai was the birth of the nation of Israel, and Pentecost was a day that celebrated that event, then I think it is appropriate that God would give birth to the church, his new people, on that very same day of celebration. Now, we talk about the, the Old and, and the New Testaments, the, the front and the back part of the Bible, as you might know it. But do you know what, what that means, the, the Old and New Testament? The word sometimes translated as testament from the, end of, uh, the original languages of the Bible was more often translated as covenant or an agreement between two parties. Now, the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament is about God's covenant with the nation of Israel, his people Israel, the covenant he made at, at Mount Sinai. The New Testament is about the new covenant, the one that God made through Jesus, through his death and resurrection. And so just as, as Israel celebrated the old covenant at Passover and Pentecost, so we have time when we celebrate now the new covenant. That's when we, when we take communion or the Lord's Supper. Through his death on the cross, Jesus inaugurated the new covenant. Now, what this means and why I'm going through all of this is that here at Paris Presbyterian Church, we are a part of the new covenant people of God. We don't live under the old covenant made with Israel, but under the new one made with the church, the people of God in the present age. And this is an important distinction, I think, which we'll see a little bit more uh, in a bit. Now, jumping back to our passage in Acts, Peter reads from an Old Testament prophet, Joel, who predicted that the coming of this new covenant, this new age, would begin with the pouring out of God's Spirit. Look at verse 17 in Acts 2 again. It says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. God's Spirit would come to live inside of, of us, of, of believers. We would then have God's law written on our hearts. We would know God. He would make them, he would make us new. Our, our sins would be forgiven. 
So Israel would have read these passages in Joel, uh, in Joel and longed for the day when God would make that new covenant with them. Longed for the day when he would write his law on their hearts, give them his spirit, give his spirit to all people. It would, it would be a whole new age. And it's, it's called many things, the age of salvation, the age of the new covenant, the age of the spirit, the, the last days. But what Peter announces in our passage is that that day has arrived. It's now. I want to take a look at the actual events which happened to, to herald this in, that this coming of the Holy Spirit for the new covenant. In verse 2, we see the sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Now, both the Hebrew and Greek words for spirit can also mean wind. And so rushing wind is a symbol of the presence of the spirit. And then we see in verse 3 what looks like tongues of fire burning above on top of the believers. They might have looked like floating candles or something of that nature. Well, fire in scripture often symbolized the presence of God. If you think about what happened to Moses when he met God, God revealed himself through a burning bush. And then when Israel was wandering through the wilderness, he protected them with a, with a pillar of fire going before him. That fire symbolizes the presence of God. And then what happens is the disciples begin speaking in other tongues or languages. Verse 4 says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there's a bit of debate today about the nature of the gift of tongues. Some people saying that it is a special kind of prayer language or, or something else. And I don't want to get into that debate today. But I think it is obvious here in this specific patch, passage what this gift is. It is the ability to speak in a language that you have never formally learned. Look at verse 6. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. In verse 8, how is it that each of us hears him in his own native language? In verse 11, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Suddenly, everyone around is hearing the gospel, the good news about Jesus, in their own language. Now, this is a powerful image because language is something that brings people together. If you've ever spent time in a place where no one around you spoke the same language as you, you know how difficult that can be. It's isolating. Because language brings people together. And language differences can break them apart, causing confusion and conflict. So if you want to speak to people's hearts, in this case, if the disciples want to deliver the message of Jesus to people's hearts, they need to speak in their languages, in their native tongue, because there's something special about that. And so these people on the day of Pentecost begin hearing the gospel, not in the common trade language of Greek, but in their own native tongue. It spoke to their heart. The message here is that God is now making his message known to all peoples and all languages. 
God is breaking down the barriers that divide right there at Pentecost. That's what he's doing. Now, jumping back again to the Old Testament for a second, there is an Old Testament counterpart to, to this event, to the speaking in tongues at the day of Pentecost. It's the Tower of Babel. Back in Genesis 11, if you know the story, in that day we're told that the people of the world at that time spoke one single language. And they had great plans. They would build a great tower and unify themselves against God and make a name for themselves alongside him. And the text tells us that God came down and confused their languages. He created many languages. And so the people couldn't communicate any longer and they were scattered around the world. Now, why did God do that in that instance? Well, because he knew that if those people stayed on their course, they would become completely corrupt. Babel symbolized God's separation of the nations. Pentecost, however, reverses that completely. Now, salvation has been achieved. The Messiah has come from Israel. He suffered and, and died for our sins. He's been raised from the dead. The time for consolidation and separation is over. Now is the time for expansion, for unification. Whereas before, God's people of the old covenant were to kind of form a, a holy huddle and protect themselves from outside influences. The people of the new covenant, which remember is you and me, we are to do just the opposite of that. We are to reach out and bring others in. Even if they're different than us, if they, if they speak a different language, if they look differently, the color of their skin is different, they have different values and, and wants and needs and economic status than we do. We are to reach out and bring them in, to incorporate all peoples into the people of God, to be light, to be salt, to break down the things that divide and separate us as humans. Look at the quotation of Joel again in Acts 2.17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. The church is now facing outward. We're calling people from every tribe and nation and, and language group to be part of one unified people of God. The role of the church, the role of the gospel, the message of Jesus, is to break down the barriers that divide us. The Holy Spirit brings people together. And the Holy Spirit does that today, just as it did at Pentecost. And if at Pentecost all nations were brought together into one church, then he can bring us together as a church to accomplish great things as well. The coming of the Spirit at Pentecost means that we are now empowered to take the message of salvation to the ends of the earth, to, to everybody, to break down, down the barriers that have kept us apart. 
The miracle of tongues was just the beginning. On the day of Pentecost, the disciples were empowered by the Spirit to go out and boldly preach the word of God. They were empowered to do miracles in Jesus' name. They were empowered to love their enemies, empowered to face life's greatest crises like suffering, persecution, financial loss, the pain of illness. And we have that too. We have that same spirit today. For most of us, that power of the Holy Spirit probably won't manifest itself in the form of a speaking in tongues miracle. It might, maybe for a few of us who are watching. But absolutely for all of us, we have the same power that the disciples did to face suffering, to face loss and illness and, and broken relationships, to remove barriers from the lives of people who don't yet know Jesus. And I think if we can come together as a church and support one another by that spirit of power, we can accomplish anything we can imagine. Now, there is a great Peanuts cartoon. Those are the ones with Charlie Brown and, and Snoopy. There's a great cartoon in which Lucy demands that Linus change the TV channel. And Linus asks, what makes you think you can walk right in here and take over? These five fingers, says Lucy. Individually, they're nothing. But when I curl them together like this into one single unit, they form a power that is awesome to behold. Which channel do you want? asks Linus. And turning away, he looks at his own fingers and he says, why can't you guys get organized like that? And I think that's a question that we have to ask ourselves today. Because we have that power too. To stay focused on the same goals and the same purpose. To unify and accomplish great things alongside people who might be very different than us. But are focused on the same things. And so if we can come together in that power, that power of the Spirit at Pentecost, Nothing can break us apart. And what that starts to look like, starts to live out in our lives as we, as we do that, as we come together, is, is we'll start to better meet the needs of those around us. We'll be a uniting force in the community, not a dividing one. We'll be working together with people, all kinds of people, people you might never have worked with before. We'll be setting aside pride, selfish ambition, looking out for the good of the body, for the good of those who want to know Jesus. I invite you to pray with me for a little bit. Father, thank you for the pouring out of your spirit. The miracle at Pentecost it's just that, it was a miracle. But it shows us your intentions, what you want for us. And Father, as we take that and try to apply it to our lives, I ask that you will help us continue to pour your spirit on us so that we too can take down barriers, 
Help us to join together, to set aside our, our prejudices, um, any kind of, of things that might keep us apart, that might make us want to isolate. Help us to set those aside. No matter how difficult they might be at some times, I think you made it pretty clear. God, give us that strength. And Lord, I just ask that as you do that, that we would start to see the great things that you would, comp you would accomplish through us. Show that to us, Father. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Now may glory be to God, whose power working in us can do infinitely more than we could imagine or, or ever thought was possible. Glory to him through all generations and in the church now and forever. Amen. today. We hope that you were encouraged by what you just heard. Just so you know a little bit more about who we are, hashtag for Paris, our church is about creating a culture that shows people that we are for them and for our local community. Jesus invites us to experience a meaningful life with him and others. So we meet every Sunday morning in person at the Paris Presbyterian Church at 1030 a.m. and throughout the week in various home groups and pubs here in Paris. It is here that we experience authentic relationships and we grow deep in our faith journeys together. If you would like to connect with us further, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And it is here that you can find links to any of our other audio and video podcasts, sermons, and you can track with what's happening with us each month. Please go straight to our website for more information now about our home groups and how you can get involved. Our website is parispresb.ca. Yes, that's right, parispresb, P-R-E-S-B.ca. And it's there that you can share our links with your friends, family, and neighbors. Uh, we have friends from around the world who connect in with us online on a regular basis. And so lastly, please feel free to email me and get connected directly. I would love to chat with you. My email is leah at parispres.ca, and I'll get back, right back to you. So that's all we have for now. Thanks again for joining, and we'll see you again next week. Bye for now, everyone.